Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation is building its Do Good Village in Lando Lakes, Florida. It's the first of its kind, a community of 110 homes for the Foundation's program recipients. So together, families can heal. So together, families can help one another. A special place where families know that their neighbors understand and care. Make the Do Good Village the first of many. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. What is up, everybody? This segment is a little bit different than the rest. Due to the current state of Texas and all of those experiencing power outages, we've had to take a different route from our normal processes. And Edward and Hector have elected me to step in as the acting host for this current episode. Can we take a moment to reflect and give thanks for life and death passes and applaud all the Texans battling through this rough situation? Do you need some gear from your favorite sports team? Well, Fanatics is your one-stop shop for all things sports. Click on the link in our bio and get some shopping done. Fanatics is a proud sponsor of the Insert Name FC and Unhinged Sports Network. My interview with Dominic Rich, uh, which I was really excited. I mean, he's a very popular YouTube uh, influencer that talks all of soccer or football in his channel. He mainly covers EPL, but he does talk about Champions League, and then whenever he has a chance, he does talk about the other leagues, but it, you know, he's a big EPL guy. He covers that, and then he covers also a lot of soccer stuff, so I'm really excited that he was a, one, he contacted uh, contacted our, our message, so greatly appreciated that, but yeah, so here is our interview with Dominic Rich. Alright. Alright, so here we are with the Dominic Rich. First of all, man, thanks for, for giving us your time, man. I know time is very valuable. And just the fact that you're giving us some time is, I greatly appreciate that. No problem, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Um, you know, just another day, just trying to live life, man. That's how, that's how I really am, honestly. Well, in these times, that's all you could do, man. You know, you just have to, gotta be happy to see another day. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. So, man, uh, before we get into soccer, man, I need to, obviously, you moved to New York. So, can you tell us a little bit about where you come from? Well, I'm from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. That's a very small island in the Caribbean. It's west of Barbados, south of St. Lucia, and north of Grenada. It's called St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I came here when I was 16 years old. Came to live with my mom and dad. So it's, it's, it's a natural thing that happens when your mom and dad is, you know, migrated and you're left alone in the islands with your grandparents and your uncles and aunties. 
eventually you join up with them. So that's the reason why I came to America. And it, it was like a fresh start, you know? It was a fresh start. But I, um, in terms of sports and football, started back there. But okay. I, used to play, I used to play football, but I mostly played cricket. And I was very good at cricket. Very, very good. You know, like made the national youth team and all. I was really into it. You know what I mean? And I played football as well. I was very talented at, at both. I was just an all-around very good sportsman. Athletics. Just good. And in 1998, I was when I was introduced to the World Cup. It came to a school and they, you know, like the, um, the, the federation, they said, there's this thing called the World Cup that's happening this year. And I'm like, what World Cup are you talking about? You know what I mean? Because that was in 1998. And previously, there was a 94 World Cup, but at the 94 World Cup, I was only seven years old. So I had no knowledge. I didn't, I was in my own little world. I didn't know anything about any World Cup or whatnot. So I never even watched football on, on television before the 1998 World Cup. So I'm introduced to the World Cup in 1998, and I fell in love. I fell in love with the tournament. And I was like, wow, this thing is fascinating. I got my book. I started writing down names of players. And it, it was just a great spectacle. Watched every game that was available to me. Watched the final. It was France versus Brazil. And, you know, it, it was great. It was great. And then there was a 2002 World Cup. And that was also great, the South Korea, Japan. But during all that time, I, was, I, I actually stopped playing football because I was playing cricket. And I sustained a really bad injury just before a big tournament. So I'm like, you know what? This is a sign that I have to stop playing football. And focus on this cricket thing because I was actually better at cricket than football. And the cricket thing was working out for me more. So stop playing, fo stop playing football, focused on the cricket. And, you know, the 2002 World Cup came. Same thing, fascinated about that. And then I migrated in 2003. So it goes back to your question, you know, how I ended up here. <laughs> and... Came to New York back in 2003. Seems like just yesterday, but it is a very long time, 17 years ago. And it's like, when I came here, it was like a fresh start. Fresh start. With school, like I never really cared too much about academics when I was in St. Vincent, when you were in high school down there. I just focused on sports. So sports have always been a passion of mine. So, you know, when you see me, on the channel, and I'm so passionate. This is just in my DNA. My mm -hmm. dad played cricket. He still does. I don't, I don't play anymore because, you know, of family reasons and all of that. I'm busy. But I've always been into sports. Like, it's just in my blood. And, but coming to America, not like the movie, but <laughs> that's me. Coming to America was just an opportunity for me to just Forget about everything I did back home and just focus on getting my life together. As a teenager, 16 years old, you know, just, just, just a fresh start with school and just stay focused. But you know, everything, things never go to plan. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Things never go to plan. But that's, that's basically how I got here. 
ended up living with my dad. Mom was around. She, she now passed away, but she was still around. But I've always been a kind of person in my own little world, you know? Like, and it, and it, and it goes back to like the YouTube channel. I could run a channel because I like stuff like that. You know, I just like to be in my own little world and, you know, take it's easy care to of do something that you like. Exactly. You know, and again, it's sports and I'm always passionate about sports, you know. But yeah, I went on a little there. I even, I even forgot. <laughs> hey, no, that was great, man. <laughs> that was great. But yeah, <laughs> I, I actually never actually came on record and tell a story like this, you know, like my whole kind of story to, you know, how I became the man I am today. I tell it to my, my wife and, you know, maybe a, a one or two persons, but not really to come on record. Because most like most most of the times, you don't really get too personal. You you just stick to the the football, the games, you just talk about that. You don't really get too personal, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, you don't get time to talk about yourself, you're just too busy talking about a game. <laughs> exactly. And and it, and, and, there's you no, just, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, you just separate yourself. You you have mm-hmm. to have boundaries, you know. You separate yourself from the whole, the sports, like there's family life. I know sometimes, you know, the family might be involved at times, but there's boundaries. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's, there's just a line you don't really, you know, like, that's it. You don't need to know that about me and all of that. So this is like a more intimate conversation that we're having right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. I mean, this is yeah. kind of like knowing, getting to know the man behind the mic. Basically, yeah. So obviously, you t- you said the nineteen ninety eight World Cup, which is actually the same World Cup that I got into. Really found my passion for the game of soccer as well. Uh, wow. That's how, yeah, Thierry Henry. That which was kind of funny. Um, uh, that was actually the first time I also betted. My dad like mm-hmm. bet five bucks with me. He was gonna he wanted Brazil to win. My dad was like a big Brazil fan. Um, and I remember he said that Brazil's gonna win. And I don't know what it was. I guess I told him that I think France is gonna win, just to be yeah. a jerk. And then he's like, all right, I'll put five bucks on it. And so that was the first time I ever won a bet. So you, <laughs> won, you won five bucks? Yeah. Great. You should have you actually bet more than that. In hindsight, maybe. Yeah. But obviously as a child, I thought that that was a lot of money. <laughs> but it, it's crazy that we started watching the World Cup, you know, the same time. It's crazy. That was a yeah. good World Cup, though. That was it memorable. Because was, uh, France was also the host nation, I believe. Yep. So yeah, it was a really good World Cup, and I mean that was the first time I saw Thierry Henry. So I was, I was like, man, this guy could play, and I mean, just obviously, clearly had a pretty good career uh, for himself, and then obviously now he's a, a manager over in Montreal. Yeah. But but yeah, no, it's kind of crazy to see. I basically followed Thierry Henry's career <laughs> to this point. So the, the the player that stand out most it has to be Zinedine Zidane, like. As a kid, you hear a name like that, Zinedine Zidane, you know? And that's when I got introduced to Ronaldo. And it's like, when, we grow, when, we, when we're growing up, it's like you, you're playing football. Everyone is saying, oh, okay, Ronaldo, okay, okay. You know, or you want to be like Ronaldo. And before that, everybody was talking about Romario and Maradona and mm-hmm. Pele. These were the names that were going around, you know? It seems like so long ago, you know what I mean? Like some of these footballers these days weren't even born yet. 
and Erling Haaland and Mbappe. These guys weren't even a thought yet. When you think about <laughs> it. Not. So the it's... thing is, they need to show some respect to us, okay? We're watching the World Cup before you were born. <laughs> really hey, man, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that we got to see a little bit of the legends from back in the day, and then now exactly. we're, we're seeing what could be for the future. I mean, some of these guys are... It's crazy how many more of them are there now. It's, yep. it, you know, it used to be just like a few guys to pick from, but now it's like, man, you know, it seems like each country has their own legend in the making, it seems, at this point. You know what it is? I think it's just evolution. It's just time. And there's social media now. There's an internet now that we get to be more exposed to all of these players. It's not that they weren't there, but they were never advertised. Mm -hmm. People never had the chance to, like, talk about a player from their country, like a, a player from, like, a country like Malaysia. You know, I've been getting into, you know, those kind of footballing nations, you know, uh, a player from a Vietnam, you know. So now you have these players on display in the Asian Cup, the AFC Champions League, and now they actually get, there's a platform to actually promote. So you don't, you don't know, you, you hear about the Malaysian Messi and the Vietnamese Messi and you hear about, and then you, you know, and then you, you it's so it's all about the internet and the evolution over time. Mm -hmm. And we only knew of players that got displayed on the big stage, the World Cup. Because growing up, I never watched club football. I'll hear the other guys talking about it because they, they were from more affluent families and they had cable. Like back in mm -hmm. 1998, early 2000, they had cable TV or satellite dishes or whatever they used to use back then. And they had access to the Italian league when Juventus and AC Milan and Inter and those teams were at their peak in mm -hmm. terms of within Europe. And I would hear them talk about these guys. And I'm like, oh, what are they talking? Who is Juventus? You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. you know, I never watched the Manchester United and the Arsenal great teams back in the days. I'm not afraid to say that. I'm, I just wasn't into that. I was into the World Cup. I was into the World Cup. And, like, from the 2006 World Cup came and went. I could remember watching every single World Cup since 1998. I've seen, I've witnessed it. I wasn't there in the country, but I followed it every game. You and that's, know? A time, that's a commitment because, I mean, I remember when in 2002 when they were in Korea and Japan, I mean, you had to like wake up at four in the morning just to, yep. just to watch the games. It was real. Wow. It was real. Mm -hmm. It was real. And, you know, it seems like so long ago, the 2010 World Cup, the 2014, then the 2018 came and went. and it is when I when I look back at it now, I'm like, God damn! What if I had just made videos of myself talking about the World Cup back then? How would that have you know came out today? But we never thought about that, you know, because as I said, things evolve over time. I remember back in those days, I used to say, "Man, one day, I wish I could have a phone conversation with someone and see them on the other end." And look, we're doing it right now. Here we are with it. I mean, that's that's how crazy the future is now. Exactly. You know, so it's all about time and timing. It, it, you know, 
And I never got into watching club football until I actually moved out of my dad's house in 2013 when I had my own cable, my own DVR. I could do what I want. I could record what I want. And I used to just record the Champions League games. I watched the Premier League matches. And it, it's crazy that I got to see like the last of, you know, the Lampard and the Gerrard and these guys. You know, I, I, when, you, when you think about it, I never really got to watch these guys in their prime. Back mm-hmm. like 2008, 9, 10, or before that, just a little before that. I never really... And, it's just everything happened for a reason. It was just there, but that's just what I wasn't into it. I mean, I everybody has their own their own way to get. I mean, for someone that that fought, that just started, like, well, I mean, obviously you've been kind of now following everything now, but you clearly are more well informed about things, and you find a way to like obviously spew spew in your way of your spin on every on on your takes as well. But I mean, I'm sure I'm sure people listen to you now. I Eventually, they thought that you've been watching, you know, the game for years, like going all the way till you were like five years old. But clearly, yeah. that's the point. But the, the thing is, I have, I have been watching it since I was ten, let's say eleven years old, right? Mm-hmm. I'm now thirty three, about to be thirty four. So that's twenty, twenty two, twenty three years. But the thing is, what I like to keep it transparent about is. I never started watching club football until 2013. So mm-hmm. that's still seven years in the bank. Mm-hmm. So the last seven years, it's relevance. You know what I mean? It's all about relevance and what's going on in the now. Mm-hmm. Because what happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it's only to, you know, just to think about and, you know, uh, romanticize about, but that's gone. Look at teams like AC Milan. They're not mm-hmm. at the height of glory anymore. Look at Man United. So what sense does it make that you know all these things from 15 years ago? It doesn't make any sense today. Mm-hmm. It's good to know, but it's also there for you to research and learn about it. The games are there on YouTube. You can go back and watch all the games if you want. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all about what's, what's present, what's now. Someone could get into football last week and they could surpass you in your following on YouTube or whatnot just because of their charisma and their fascination with the game. They don't have to be all about knowledge and this and whatnot. You understand what I'm saying? No, totally. It's all about, and that's where people, a lot of people get the thing misconstrued. It's, you're a fan, you love the sport, and you're just expressing yourself and sharing your experience. You don't need to know anything about, you don't need to know the history of the game, you don't need to know all the rules. You learn as you go along. We don't even know the rules right now. The referee themselves don't even know the rules. You know I'm pretty saying? sure a lot of people don't even know how to count a handball right now. Bro, the players <laughs> don't even know the rules. The players don't know the rules. That's how crazy it is. So I, I don't like when people criticize and say, oh, you don't know, you don't know, no, no. You know, I say, okay, why don't you start a podcast or a YouTube channel? Mic up. <laughs> Mic up and, and, and become an expert. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. 
going back to where the, the, this whole football thing started, you know, back in, you know, 2013, I really, really got into it. The VR in every game, watching all the Champions League matches, catching the Premier League games when I could. And, you know, I remember Demba Bad, Chelsea, when Lampard came back from NYFC and played for Man City and he was scoring. I was like, that's when I got back into the thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I, I like to make that clear. And the whole Man City thing didn't come until three years ago because I was a neutral. I didn't, I just watched the thing. I was, in, I was just a, a World Cup. I, I loved the World Cup. And the channel came about by basically by mistake. The whole YouTube thing came about by mistake. I never planned it. You know what I mean? It was never a plan. Maybe you had time to plan your podcast, you know, and do all you could to make it the best product. But I never did that. So what got you into YouTube? It was just a mistake, bro. Just a mistake. But but I was I was into YouTube before the football channel, but the football channel came by like by mistake. It's just you could say I just I just fluked it because I was um I had a channel with my no no my wife my girlfriend then we used to just do silly um you know pranks and challenges and stuff like that. I was a little younger, you know, so it's like yeah, let's have some fun and. One day, I was picking up my two daughters from school. They go to different schools, so I pick one up, I pick up the other one, and while I'm doing that, I'm watching the Champions League match between PSG and Barcelona, the infamous game. Oh, the, infamous, the comeback? <laughs> yeah, the infamous 6-1, and you, you know, well, you, you're a Real Madrid fan, so. Oh, yeah, yeah but everyone didn't <laughs> shut up about it, though. <laughs> yeah. So, but you guys did win the Champions League that season, didn't you? Was, was that La Decima? That's that's the sixteen seventeen season. You won it. Yeah, that was yeah that was part of yeah that was part of yeah the yeah, yeah you won it. You won it. <laughs> so Barcelona, PSG, PSG won the first leg four 0 Look, I don't remember games that much. I, I I'm my memory when it comes to remembering games and who scored in the games and all of that is very very bad. It's, I don't know if it's because I watch so, so much football and so many games, but that game. I feel like, game, I feel like you're right about that, but that, that was just a, a, such a huge, mo- like, that's a, I mean, I'm, people were counting Barcelona out from the beginning just because of how big the deficit was, but for them to fully come back for, to that game, I mean, that's kind of the, the reason why you watch this game is because of the fact that, you know, there are times that it's not that predictable. Well, look, I was following, I was following the the um the Champions League that season. So we don't we didn't know what was gonna happen there. You know, that was the same season Mbappe broke out too. The Mbappe mm-hmm. at Monaco, they played Man City, Bernardo Silva, all of them, Mendy, all of them broke out. And they smashed Man City. They did lose an um away goal rule, but it was it was an exciting tie. And talk about Man City and exciting ties, man. Every single season, man. What is up with that? You just think about it. I know we're going, we're talking about the Barcelona, but just think about it. Every season, 
It's something with Man City in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Every season, they're bowing out. Mm-hmm. You know? it's, it's crazy. But um, the Barcelona thing, I, I was watching a game while picking up my daughter. So I'm in traffic driving. It's heavy New York traffic. And I'm driving back home now. And I'm tired because I think I had work that day too. So after work, I can't quite remember if I worked that day. But let's just assume I worked that day, pick up one kid, went, got the other one while watching the game. So I'm watching the game. Game's going on. I'm driving. And it's, I can't remember how the goals went, but I could remember Cavani scored and he was celebrating like, okay, no way Barcelona going to come back from this now. No way. Mm-hmm. PSG, four in the first leg, Barcelona nil. And then Cavani scored, made it. It's so difficult to come back now. They need six. Mm-hmm. These guys went and scored six. And I went crazy. And at that moment, I'm like, just hit record and just, I never did this before. I never did a reaction before. Just record and see I, where it takes you. <laughs> bro, it's on the channel right now. It's on the channel. I have to actually, oh man, that was great. I got to react to it. I got to react to my first ever YouTube video. That's a great idea though. So the kids are in the back. I think one of them are, or both of them are sleeping and I'm there talking. I put the video up on YouTube. Numbers. That's my first ever football video. I did have some other stuff on there, some random things. I, I privated them, deleted them eventually. But I put the video up. Views, 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 views. I'm like, whoa. And being that I was already into YouTube, I was, and, and the channel with myself and my, my girlfriend never used to really get that much views. It's like, whoa, maybe this is what I need to be doing. It's so I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, what's the next video now? Okay, this, this game is done. So what I did, and you see, I was always smart from the beginning. I spoke about the Suarez goal because I think Suarez was brought down for penalty or something. And then, you know, there was a, there was a couple more situations in the game, a couple more talking points to, to hit. And I did that and they all got good views. The referee. Remember, there was a big scandal over the referee, Dennis Eitekin. Mm-hmm. And they were like protesting and saying that he called foul when it wasn't a foul. He gave penalty when there wasn't a penalty. And I spoke about that as well. And from there, the thing just launched and pick up and just whoop, shoot off. It's been three years. You know, it's been a long journey, bro. It's, 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 it's tough. It's tough. That's where it started. Okay. So, I mean, uh, um, so, I mean, obviously, you just kind of explained your journey as to how you find yourself making content on soccer. <laughs> Or football on YouTube, man. But that's crazy, man. Just you just did something like that, and just now, you, now here you are with forty over forty thousand subscribers. And I mean, I feel like that's pretty impressive on its own, man. Just especially here in the U.S., knowing that like soccer isn't or football isn't the most popular sport here. But for you to do that, I think that is very impressive. And uh, I guess from all those videos, what would you say is your favorite type of video that you've made? Well, the favorite type of videos to make. Well, I would say it's the match reactions. 
I would say it's, you know, because that's when the passion would come out more. The match reactions, you know, following City and all. And, you know, just a match reaction. Even when a Liverpool are playing, just to, just to review the match. Just to review the match and to hear what the, the, the viewers have to say, you know, because you want to get it right. Even though you're giving your opinion, your perspective of the game, you also want to get it right. Because people are going to ask you, what game did you watch? You don't even know what you're talking about. So for me to, to do it this long, it means that I'm doing something right, that I'm hitting some good points. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been evolving over time. You know, before I used to have to like write down a few talking points to touch on. Nowadays, I don't even write nothing down. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I'm writing down something from the game and I miss something, you know? So I just focus on the match. And when I'm done, right after, and the key is right after the game, you talk about the game. If you're in high demand, you don't have to. You can relax. And then later you hit it and then people are waiting for it. You know, so I would say the match reactions because they're easier you, you know, I use my cell phone most of the time because with, with using the cell phone, it's like, I don't know what it is, but I know I can't afford to mess up. It's one take. So I just go and I hit all the points and I'm charismatic on, on camera and I drop a little joke here and there. And plus, I, I, I speak with an accent again. So, you know, I say things differently and people, maybe people like that. This point, you're kind of just hitting the trifecta. Yeah, maybe people are just people are just like I'm fed up of hearing people maybe talk this way. I like the way this guy talks. You know, he just he 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 just say things a little differently, and I just like the way he he expresses himself. So yeah, I'll say I'll say the match the match reactions because they they are the easiest, but you do have to watch the game. You have to invest 90 minutes plus, you know, the halftime break and all. You have to invest that time and then you review the game. And uh, I, I would say that, that because it is the easiest and a lot of times the most rewarded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that, man. I think as far as from your videos, I think the thing that I like with uh, from your videos is definitely when you you try to set up the ma- the groups for Champions League. Because I think it's something that I don't think anybody has ever actually thought about. Just like, oh, let's see if I can figure, if I can guess the draw. Oh, <laughs> you mean like, like when I do the mock draws and all of that? Uh-huh. Yeah. I've, I've, I like doing that too. But the thing is, the, the UEFA is so complicated with the way they do things. Mm-hmm. That there's television, broadcast, put it in, in, in the, in the in the variables to whether you can draw a team, geography and travel and all the weather and all of that. So when when it comes to group stage, I don't do I don't do the draws. I don't do the mock draws. But for the for the quarter and the round of sixteen, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. then I could do something, you know. But sometimes before, to be honest, sometimes I have to be like, ah, oh, do I really want to do a draw? Because sometimes, I don't know, it comes off like very, very childish. Uh, but I then again, it. yeah. But then again, I'm like, we we are, we, we do have an inner child. 
So some, you know what I mean? There's always something that you like to do and you, you question yourself and say, yo, am, am I too old to be doing this? You, you know what I'm saying? No, I totally agree. I just, I think it's interesting just to see like if you can try to get it right. I mean, yeah. I think that's the, that's the, and then when it does happen, you're like, well, you know, I almost called, I called it, you know. At least you, can, you can come off as that way. <laughs> it's, it's all about fun. It's all about fun. And the reason why I persist with it, and I, I don't do it for every draw, but the reason why I still do it is for fun because you have to remember, you're not always doing things for yourself. There's an audience that wants to see that. So if I know there's an audience for something that I've done before, I say, okay, let me not be selfish. Let me not make selfish content and put the thing out there for the, for the people to actually enjoy. And a lot of times, there's a, a younger audience that will enjoy that. You see what I'm saying? And you can't neglect a younger audience and say you want to appeal to a, a older, more mature audience because the older, more mature audience are the ones that's going to rip you to shreds. Those, those are the ones that are like, what is this guy now? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What is this guy talking about? What do you know? You're not a footballer. Like, there, you're not there's, even... You know, I got to say, there's something very entertaining of someone that actually takes the time to go into a comment section to criticize or, or say something of, of negative, you know, influence. And it's like, oh, you took so much time just to do this where you could have just got out of the video and go on to something else. Yep, bro. You use the you use the word just now influence, influence, and that's what people like you and I are influencers. You know, you're mm-hmm. doing your podcast, I do YouTube, and I do podcast like stuff on the channel as well. So, if I can influence someone so much that I could evoke a certain emotion for them to rant in my comment section or compliment me or curse me. You're clearly, doing your job. <laughs> you're clearly doing your job. I'm doing something good. I mean, you're right, man. Because I mean, I think the whole point of whether it's a YouTube channel or a podcast is to get a reaction. And I mean, it, hopefully it's always going to be a good reaction. But let's face it, there's always going to be that person that just has to go ahead and, and give them their, your, you know, say something negatively towards you. And I think that just kind of comes with what, what we decide to do with your YouTube channel, and obviously with, with the podcast. So, I mean, yeah. I think we both understand. I think you and me are probably some people that have like a thicker skin, so we can probably handle it, obviously. And usually I, I personally just prefer to just ignore it because clearly, uh, I mean, I, I'll, read, I'll read it sometimes only just to see like maybe I need to work on something. But majority of the time, it's probably just telling me, you know, some guy just telling me, you know, go fuck myself. So, I mean, yes, yeah, very- <laughs> I'm telling you, do you know how many times I had to tell people to go fuck themselves in my comment section? Not directly, I'll say G-F-Y. And it's just because of frustration. I'm like, you took the time and you, 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 you could say something positive. You could, do a con- you could leave a constructive criticism, but you, you're, trying to, you're trying to undermine and, and, and break me down right now. And I'm not for that. You mm-hmm. don't even know the work I have to put in to get this content out to you with, you know, good enough quality and everything. And, and you don't know how many takes I had to put in to get this video out. There's times I do a video, like, for example, I did a Champions League video, and I didn't do the video because 
oh, I'm going to do this because I'm going to get a lot of views. Because I don't get a crazy, crazy amount of views. I would have to, you know, actually hit something at the right time, something that's actually trending and I'm on it, or I've, I've just been talking about it so much. And then when it becomes popular, I'm the guy that's ranking on all of that. Yeah, so it's like, it's like you just have to have a thick skin and just calm yourself and, you know. But going back to the, the Champions League video, I, I, I would record the video, bro, for two and a half hours. And only, <laughs> I only end up getting 48 minutes worth of footage from it, right? So it means that I had to do a whole lot of takes. I had to take out over an hour and a half just to end up with the final product. And then mm-hmm. you put it out, hardly anyone watches it, and then you, you're going to get stick in the comment section. So you're like, already, you know, like, oh, man, I put in so much work. Don't even come with this. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but I try to read every comment, but you can't because, well, you can if you have a channel that don't get a lot of comments. But my channel, oh, man, I get a lot. I keep the audience engaged when I tell you. A lot mm-hmm. of comments. A lot of, and it's good. It is good because I see sometimes someone, some people make videos, no one comments. Mm-hmm. I, the latest video on the Liverpool um, game, 266 comments. And, and in the past, I would go through all of them and take an hour and like just reply. But these days, I can't do it. Because I don't, I, I don't blame you at all. <laughs> because I have two or three other videos on the channel that's really doing well. And it has a hundred comments as well. So I'm like, ah, it's so exhausting. The time I'm going to take to go through all these comments, I could be coming up with an idea for the next video to keep the thing going. Or I, the, you know, the amount of football that, that's playing these days, I have to talk about the game. Like tomorrow, like the weekend was just, the weekend is done. We even had Premier League games today. I watched a little bit of both games, but I didn't watch the whole games because I had to re- I had to rest. I had to relax. I just came off of work. And then there's games tomorrow again. Mm-hmm. There's Champions League tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, man, I've been doing this watch along on Tuesdays because I, my wife doesn't work on Tuesdays. So when I get off of work, I could just run, sh- I hurry home, run downstairs, set up everything. Hey, guys, oh, I just came home from work. Um, let's do the watch along. Champions League watch along. Multi-stream watch along. And that's something that I just started doing. And that's something that I, I actually came up with by mistake because most people just do, okay, I'm going to do a watch along of the PSG RB Leipzig game and that's it. But then there was a conflict of interest for me because I talk about, my, my channel is a football channel, general, everything football, anything football. It's not niche down further into a city channel or not. Thank God. Mm. Because <laughs> that would that would have been depressing. So, and that's to say that city content does not do well unless city are losing. Note. I think I can get that. <laughs> yeah, we want a treble. We want a treble, and I made a video, and it probably only got a, a thousand views tops. See. I, think, I mean, I thought it was interesting how you and you chose, well, you became a Man City fan by a draw of a hat. I thought that no, was... No, that oh, was no. Not, no, no, that was... Oh, no, that um, was with the Croatia team. 
Yeah, yeah. No, actually, when I do the draw of the hat, that was actually a fun activity to see which Croatian club I would follow. And then I did that another time for the African Cup of Nations, which team I would follow at that tournament because I don't, I'm obviously not born in Africa. Maybe I'm of African descent, but I don't know my um, lineage. So I can't say, oh yeah, my, my DNA says I'm from Ghana. So I'm going to back Ghana. So I had to pick it up from a hat. But the city thing, bro, city chose me. I didn't choose City. City okay. chose me. I just loved the way they were playing. I didn't go and look, do no research and, oh man, let me see this. Let me see that. Nah, I don't like that team. They didn't win enough titles. Nah, 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 nah. You know what? Let me go with Man United. They won a lot of titles. Let me be a glory hunter right now. No. City chose me because of the style of football they were playing. And I'm like, whoa, I like this. This, 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 this embodies me. You see what I'm saying? So that's just how I am. Me as a person. Me as a person is how Man City is as a team. You know, not maybe not this season or last season, but you know. I, I feel like I feel like this season's been a rough season for some of the, the power <laughs> teams right now. So Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's very unpredictable. But yeah, City chose me. City chose me. And it's not like I'm like, nah, man, made the wrong choice. You know what? I'm making Liverpool content too, and it's doing really well. So you know what? Ah, let me just get rid of this City shirt and all of that. And I'm Liverpool now. No, 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 no. You know, I'm City, and that's who I am. I'm loyal. You can't be switching like this. We are not, look. But clearly, not- clearly, you're, I mean, obviously you're a City fan, but clearly you're a football YouTube creator. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm crazy about football. I don't even watch cricket anymore, bro. Oh, really? I don't watch cricket anymore. I don't play cricket. I'm not saying I won't in the future, but I don't watch it anymore mm-hmm. because I've done it so many times. I watch a few highlight clips here and there to reminisce and be like, whoa, whoa, you know? I'm like, and sometimes I say to myself, man, do I even know the rules of the game still? Yeah, I think I know the rules, but I'm just fascinated with football right about now. But what I was saying about the whole switching thing, we can switch teams. We are not, we are not footballers. Footballers can switch teams all they want and they don't get no slack for that, you know? But we, we can't. We have to remain loyal. Mm-hmm. And I, some people like to ask, oh, how long have you been a City fan? Does it matter? I could meet a girl last week and that could be the one. Mm-hmm. And I could know a girl from since I was a child. And that could be the one right now. So it's just different. So everybody gets on this journey at a different stage in their life. I, know, I mean, so- clearly your loyalty is where your loyalty is. I think that's what's more important at the end of it. I mean, if you, say, if you could be loud and proud and say you're a Man City fan, that's all that really matters at the end of it. But how long, how long have you been a Real Madrid fan? Um, honestly, since I was 10. <laughs> oh, so you've been a Real Madrid fan for a while. But how did you become a Real Madrid fan, though? Um, I was a big, uh, phenomenal, uh, Ronaldo fan. That was yeah. one of my... So him, and then also, well, I when I played soccer, I played primarily right back. Mm-hmm. So I have a, I, I probably have like a big soft spot for fullbacks when I, can, when I watch uh, football. 
And so Roberto Carlos to me was the guy. And yep. Roberto Carlos played for Real Madrid. And so it kind of was like a no-brainer. I'm like, man, two guys that I like watching. And then obviously you, yeah. have, you have Zinedine. You're, you're, the team had already guys that I watched already. So I was like, you know what? And then funny That's enough, the my dad was a, my dad's a Barcelona fan. And so I was like, okay, it's just... It just makes it even sweeter because now my dad's going to hate me. <laughs> That's the team. You know what I'm saying? So, look, I, I have no regrets being a Man City fan. I know it's a very, 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 very difficult, very difficult thing, you know, because people don't like City. And to be a City fan on YouTube is like to make just the City exclusive content. It doesn't. It, it doesn't really work, to be honest. Because I I've, yeah, I've seen it. And I think what I'm doing is just fine. Like, I could do what I want without any pressure. You know what I'm saying? I, I just like it that way, you know. But I talk ma- mainly about the Premier League. I do mainly Premier League content. So I will talk about the other leagues if something big happens or something that I actually want to... But you know what? I actually do want to talk about the Italian League and the and La Liga and the French League and the Bundesliga. I want to do that. I want to watch games from those leagues too. But sometimes they're playing when my team is playing. So, you know, you, you, you just have to just concentrate on one thing and just... And plus the time, time. When you have to go to work and you have kids and you have a wife, you can't do everything that you want to do. You see what mm-hmm. I mean? And there've, there's been many times where I just wanted to say, you know what, I'm going to go live today and this live stream will be only designated to talking about the other leagues. I'm just going to sit with the guys on the channel, the subscribers, your viewers, and we, we're just going to talk about the other leagues and I'll do it once every two weeks or something. But I, it, it's difficult. No, I totally get that, man. All right, so we're definitely getting up there in that time, man. So obviously, I greatly appreciate the time that you gave uh, for this. And if you ever want to come back, man, I would be more than welcome to have you back on. Um, so before that, can you guys, can you want to tell me a game that maybe, because obviously this episode is going to drop on Thursday. So if there's a game that you're kind of looking forward to this coming weekend, and then tell me, tell the people where they can find you. A game coming up this weekend. Well, Man City play Burnley, and I'm looking forward to beating Burnley because we haven't been winning games, and I would actually like to win a game. We have played eight games. That's going to be a much-needed one. (laughs) Yeah, we have played eight times, and we dropped points in five games. So a win under the, you know, another win, another three points would be a good morale-boosting three points. And... I would love that. And that's the game I'm looking forward to this weekend. But knowing Man City, anything could happen. We could drop points again. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. You know, I wish I could have stayed on. We could have gone and talked about a lot more things. But a lot of, you know, challenges faced doing the whole YouTube thing because there's a lot. There's more than what meets the eye, the back end work and everything. is It's very difficult, you know? It's very, very difficult. Sometimes you don't want to make a video, but then you have to because you, you want to be consistent. You want to continue the journey. It is a journey, you know? And I appreciate everyone that's taking that journey with me. To reach me, 
Instagram, Dominic Rich FC, Twitter, Dominic Rich FC, and YouTube, Dominic Rich FC. It's all about Dominic Rich FC, man. It was yeah, a pleasure. Yeah. Easy to remember, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was a pleasure doing this with you. All right, man. Thank you for, so much for your time. No problem, man. Peace. Again, that was Dominique Rich. I got a question for you guys. Are you tired of cable? We are too. Football TV gives you access to over 100 channels and without the hassle of a contract too. Start a seven-day free trial when you click the link in our bio. Football TV is a proud partner of Inside Name FC and the Unhit Sports Network. Up next, we have an OG interview with Kicking It With Drew FC. All right, man. So with me is Andrew from Kicking It With Drew SC. So first of all, thanks for, for being here. Anytime, man. Anytime. All right, man. So, I mean, obviously, well, well I know who you are, but... Uh, Exactly. What got you into soccer? So, I mean, obviously you're Latino. I mean, Latinos is usually soccer is like our main sport. But what what essentially got you into soccer? Um, uh, well, like I said, I'm Latino. So, you know, my my grandfather was like a big soccer coach, youth youth soccer coach back in Jersey when I grew up. So I was always playing soccer when I was young. Uh, I kind of fell out of out of soccer um, when I got like into high school, and then after I graduated, I started watching the World Cup. Uh, the 2010 World Cup actually is what got me back into soccer and I fell in love. And ever since then, I've been like obsessed with uh, soccer everywhere. It's actually a pretty good World Cup to watch though. Thanks, yeah. All right. Uh, so what kind of got you to fall off from it? I mean, just out of curiosity. Like what got me to fall in love with the sport? Well, just that got you to fall out. Oh, fall out? Uh, I'm just rebellious teenage years, you know. Um, it was almost like my my parents wanted me to play soccer. I was like, you know, I don't want to play right now. And then kind of they just stopped pushing me to go, and I just didn't go anymore. I regret it, but yeah, that, that's pretty much it for that. Yeah, I like to use that as my excuse as to why I didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I could have been pro, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's always my excuse, like the role with. Um, yeah. But it's like the 2010 World Cup. So what was it in that World Cup that that got you like? Like, holy shit, man, this game's awesome. Uh, well, I was watching USA, and then, you know, they got, I watched the first game I watched for them was the, um, the Algeria game, where they won, like, you know, like, last minute of the game or something like that. Like, they got the, the last goal, and then, like, they finally advanced the group to the knockout stages. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, this sport's good. Like, why didn't I stop watching this sport? And then I started watching Spain's game. I just, like, you know, they played really beautifully back then. You know, they were, like, unstoppable, the possession, the way they played. Um, and I was like really like intrigued and like fascinated with like all these different players coming up that I'd never even heard of, but they're like they're so popular. I was like, what? Why am I so out of the loop right now? And it's almost like I had FOMO. Like I was like, I need to find out why I I, I fell out of love with this game because it's like so good. No, yeah, for sure, man. But I mean, that whole U.S. run. I mean, you had that that lucky goal that happened in the England USA game. Yeah, I thought it was really cool, just the fact that we were playing against England in the same group that year. I know that was that was like that was a that was a big deal for us, you know. Oh yeah, totally. So, uh, so how did you end up finding the MLS? Because uh, I know a lot of people don't necessarily like go to the MLS uh, for obvious reasons, but what got you into the MLS? Yeah, I got into the MLS because um, actually because of the game FIFA. Um, I was playing that after the World Cup. I was obsessed. And I was like, you know, let me just play this game. 
And I looked at the American League. I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, I know this is the MLS. Like I was familiar with it because of you know playing soccer when I was younger. It still had that same like that logo with the foot and the soccer ball back then. Pretty iconic. And, um, yeah, yeah. So then um, I was just like you know playing career modes with that with some MLS teams. Uh, back then, Freddie Adu actually was in the Philadelphia Union, and that was like my like local team for my friends. And I was like, that's pretty cool, Freddie Adu, but. By then he was kind of a, a flop too, so yeah. But just Freddie, FIFA, yeah, just FIFA got me into it, really. Yeah, the exposure Freddie, to it. Freddie Adu is definitely a name that I constantly forget all about because I remember all the hype that uh, what was he like, 16 years old, playing for DC. Yeah, it's like 15 or no, he was actually he was actually 14 years old when he signed his first pro professional contract. He was the youngest player to ever, youngest youngest person to ever sign a professional contract, which is crazy in any sport. That's true. Okay, yeah, now, now I remember everything. I remember he started out with DC United. Um, yeah, he was doing good for DC. Yeah, I remember just like, I feel like that was the first time I actually saw like coverage, at least as far as I remember, of like here in the US, of like, so- like the MLS. So I yeah. That, that was really cool to see that. So, so yeah. Yeah, they were hyping him up big. And I, well, I mean, clearly you said you're a Philadelphia Union fan. Um, so, whoa. Who, who, who are your clubs? If, if you want to go ahead and just throw it out there. Yeah, you know, uh, for MLS, it's the union mostly. Um, for the world, like, I feel like every soccer, American soccer fan has, like, their MLS team, and they have, like, teams they support everywhere else, which is, that's good, that's fine. Um, I, I supported Barcelona for a long time. I still do, but they're just going through a big rub. I still support them. That's that's my, my go-to team. Uh, my, my best friend, Edward, he's, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, he's a Barcelona fan, but... Um, yeah, he's he's kind of going through it right now, too. Yeah, you're just feeling, like, the misery, you know, the other clubs are feeling. Like, it's been a long time since Barcelona has felt misery like that. But, um, yeah, Barca, Philip Union, Barca. And for, like, you know, the Premier League, um, I was getting into Liverpool. But after they won the title, and I was like, ah, like, let me pick somebody else. <laughs> Do you think that might be a bandwagon, or is it... Yeah, I was like, you know, I bought like a jersey, I bought like a nice sweater from them. But that's before this one, they sucked. And then after, I was like, ah, never mind. <laughs> the fashion's gone? Yeah, so mostly Barca and mostly the Union. Okay. All right. So, um, obviously, how you came to be, well, the reason why I got you over here is obviously because you do have a very, at least in my opinion, successful YouTube channel. Um, um, so what got you, well, first of all, what got you into YouTube before we talk about your, your, your channel itself? Yeah, I actually got into YouTube, funny story, like four years ago, I got fired from my one job and I was like, oh man, that sucks. Uh, so then I just was looking for jobs and it was so hard to find a job. So I was at home playing FIFA and just watching videos and I started to find videos of, of FIFA YouTubers and I was watching that stuff. And I was like, you know what, I, I could do that. I was like, I could record uh, videos on YouTube. Like, that would be so cool to just like record and talk about something. So when I start, opened my YouTube channel, it was actually <laughs> my first video ever was actually a, a Pokemon game, which I have locked. I didn't delete it. It's still locked. It's private, so nobody can see that except me. But it was my so, first so ever Pokemon game. Was it? Uh, it was like a, like a ROM hack. It was like a hack Pokemon game. And oh, like, okay. I was just playing it. It was only for like four four episodes I did. And I was like, ah, that's stupid. And then I, um... Hey, man, you like, can never go wrong with Pokemon, man. I mean, at least... <laughs> at, least no, I, at least I think guys around our age, I think you, you can't go wrong with the Pokemon. Yeah, we love Pokemon. That's, that's what's up. <laughs> but 
But uh, then I was like, you know what? I, I'm not feeling it. You know, it's not in my heart. So I was like, you know, let me just like talk about. I was watching Bates Motel. I was like, you know, let me talk about Bates Motel. Um, so I did some videos on that. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, this is so good. And then um, that was like, I was like, I'm just not in this. So I was like dormant for a couple months, and I was like watching soccer, and I was talking to friends at my new job at, about soccer, and I was like, hey, like I just want to like. Like, let's just talk about soccer. And they're like, ah, oh, bro, that's not even a sport. Or that's stupid or all that, that dumb stuff. And I was like, you know what? I bet there's, there's people out there who like soccer. There's got to be people out there who also like American soccer. I was like, let me just talk about that because that's like, I'm passionate about trying to grow soccer. That, like the respect for soccer in America, you know? Like that's, and that's what caused me to bring my channel. I was like, I don't really see a lot of people talking about American soccer on YouTube. So I was like, let me just try and do that and see where it takes me. That's okay. the history of kicking it with Drew. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, I think as far as YouTube, it's all about trial and error, seeing what works for you and what doesn't. So, have you yeah. obviously you you figured out that like soccer and MLS kind of kind of came to be your, I guess your your niche came came from that. So, yeah. um, so obviously, it was to spread the word of U.S. soccer and MLS. Uh, did did you? Did you ever think it was gonna make it to where I believe now you're you're almost at at two thousand followers, correct? Yeah, yeah, almost at two thousand. And like, in hindsight, it's really not a lot. But for like an American soccer YouTuber, I feel like that's a lot. Like, there's not many American soccer YouTubers out there. Um, and but now now there is. I feel like I see a couple more going around, popping up and stuff, which is great. Um, but no, when I started, I was like, you know, no one's gonna even like listen to my video. So like, who cares? So after a while, I got like a little depressed, so like, you know, unmotivated. So I made this one video about potential MLS teams. And I was like, I messed up a couple of times during like writing a script and reading it. I was like, who cares? Like no one's gonna watch it anyway, who cares? And then flash forward to like three years later and that's my number one video. It's got like almost like 100,000 views. And I was like, of course this video has the most views, the video that I didn't even care about. <laughs> the one with the fewest amount of effort you put into it? Yeah, I was like, oh, of course, a lot of people are not going to subscribe because they think I'm a loser. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, it's just finding out what, what kind of works for you. I know you've done, you've done like, potential teams. I know you've also, I think you recently just did players that could, MLS players that could be going uh, to Europe. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you, that was a, I actually got to watch that. It was actually a really good video. Um, Thanks, actually, funny enough, me and my best friend before we before this video even came to be, we both kept saying that Jordan Morris has to go to Europe at some point. He's got to go, bro. <laughs> he's got to go. He's he's his birthday is actually today. He's twenty six, so like this is his prime time. Like, or he's gonna hit his prime. He's he's, he's got to go. Yeah, it's, it's just so wild to think about that, especially with all the hype that came from Jordan Morris because obviously he was playing in Stafford and getting called up with the U.S. Men's National Team while he's playing with Stafford. Yeah. I don't know how NCAA works with guys that are getting called up by national teams, but I don't necessarily think it's easy. Um, no, I mean, he, he definitely had to make it, had to made a, some sort of impact for him to be called up like that. No, totally. So, um, for you, what do you think is like the current state of the MLS? If you were to like be able to explain it for for, for people that are just listening right now, uh, the current state of MLS, I think, it's still in the transition, still in a growing phase. We're not at full potential. We're not at like, you know, Premier League or even La Liga level. Um, there's, we still got a couple years to go for that. You know, the league is very young still. If you compare it to leagues like the Premier League or La Liga, those have been around for like hundreds of years, you know, like 100 years or whatever, give or take. Um, so we're what, like 20 to 30 years? That's it. 
So we, we got a lot of learning to do in terms of how we are going to manage and work soccer around here in America. We have a lot of um, stability still to bring to the league. I feel like the league is still very, it's trying to grow. And then it's content for a while, then it wants to grow and expand more. Um, we bring old players, we bring young players, we bring like middle-aged players. Like we don't know what our league is yet, I feel like. I feel like it has a reputation slightly that it's still a retirement league for some people out there, which is kind of annoying. I feel like we're shying away more from that. It's not. A, I don't see it as a retirement league anymore. I used to, to be honest. But uh, I, players like I, get, I get what you're saying with that. I mean, it doesn't help when you have guys like Wayne Rooney and, and other, I mean, Tatan, I mean, some yeah, people like, thought that he was probably out the door. I think he's kind of proving us wrong right now in Milan. But, uh, but you're seeing more and more of these guys that are kind of near the tail end of their careers coming into the MLS and that's kind of been the theme and that, that kind of became the joke around the MLS was that this is a retirement league but I mean people that actually follow the MLS like I mean I, I do follow the MLS unlike, unlike Edward who's a, who I like to follow as a Eurostop um, <laughs> uh, for me like the thing that I've noticed is not so much anymore just seeing these these older end players from Europe coming in now you're seeing uh, them you know, snatching guys from Liga MX, you're seeing them bring in some young players from Argentina and, and South America, all throughout right. South America. And I mean, yeah. yeah, I just don't think that that's something being noted. I mean, obviously, just the MLS just doesn't get that exposure as, as an EPL, which even in the U.S. of all things. But um, I think if you're seeing, you're seeing the growth and you're seeing the game has changed, it, it, some people think that the game isn't necessarily as fast. But I mean, if you're if you're watching the game and seeing how it evolved from the beginning, I mean, you definitely think that at least it's it's elevating. The game is elevated here in the MLS. Definitely, definitely. I think yeah, like our 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 players, the way they play, the way that we we develop players is definitely uh, like improved over the last ten years. So like we're making we're making progress, but we're not fully there yet as like a dominant or a top league in the world. But we'll get there eventually. I really do believe that we will be uh, a league that players want to come and play in. I, I, I completely agree. Now, for obviously, like the Euro snobs, like, like Edward, uh, what do you think is that reason why people don't watch the MLS? Um, I think you mean in the USA or just like soccer fans around the world? I would say just, I mean, obviously you want your home market being the, the main Name the main views, but I think that there is, I feel like there is a little bit of people outside of the U.S. that do watch the MLS. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. I see people out there. I, I don't necessarily think that, I mean, I'm sure they see the game for what it is, but obviously just people in our, our own home market, what is it that, that makes them not watch the MLS? In our home market, um, it, it's definitely the the competitiveness of other of going against other sports in America, like football, the, obviously the biggest one, um, even baseball and basketball. Um, I think that's the reason probably why people don't really watch MLS. They're like, they're too busy watching those. Like those three leagues come first for common sports fans in America. Those two, those three sports leagues come first before they come to watch soccer. And like, it doesn't, doesn't even have to be MLS, it has to be just soccer. Um, but I think the problem we have with the way we see soccer is the reason why we're not, not getting the views in America as we should. Like we watch, like we grew up playing soccer and then it's almost like routine. All these, you know, these kids and these soccer moms, they bring their kids to soccer. And then after they get older and they're high school, they'll play something else. 
and then kind of forget about soccer or lose respect for soccer. And then when they get older, they won't even watch soccer because they're watching too busy either playing pro one in one of these other sports or just watching these other professional sports, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Um, I mean, I think um, I think Sultan really hit it when he was talking about how he had to have his kids sign up into the youth academies and he had to spend almost, I think, $2,000 on each of them just for them to be in the academy. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Um, when he was able to, when he spoke like that, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of people may take a lot negative from Sultan's time here in the MLS, but I think he did. Uh, I mean, the fact that he's very vocal, vocal, I don't know what I'm going here of what he, of, you know, he's very vocal about his thing, uh, the way he goes. And I think him kind of speaking his mind on how the MLS is ran, maybe, yes, it goes against the grain for a lot of the MLS lovers, but I think it was, it was like that tough love that the MLS needs to hear because I think that there is some change that needs to happen with the MLS, at least to uh, make the product better. And, and I mean, I mean, the goal of, of all home leagues should be is to develop uh, home talent. Um, and I think that just that youth, the youth academy issue alone has been something that I, I personally have had problems with. But um, I think it, it's it's good to hear a player like Zaltan to speak his mind on it and it kind of just put it out there. Because I mean, I think a lot of people... Yeah, like almost calling them out like that. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think it's, that, that was good for him, I think, to like expose, like almost expose them and put, put, and put exposure about like what, what really happens at the youth level here for American soccer. So, I mean, basically, I just already told you what personally I would change in the MLS with the youth academy system. But what's something yeah. that you would personally change in the uh, in the whole MLS game? It's a lot. Like, just for MLS, I would change um, the conferences. Uh, I would love to see, it, like, a promotion relegation for each conference. Um, that's, like, a big, big topic. You know, promotion relegation is probably the biggest talked-about topic when you talk about the MLS league. Um, so like just briefly touching on that, I would have promotion relegation for each separate conference. And then, you know, the winner of each conference would play against each other and win the MLS cup. Um, I would get rid of like the playoffs because I just feel like, you know, I know it's so Americanized to see a playoff format in the sports game, but for soccer, I feel like it doesn't really work out as much or it doesn't, it just it doesn't fit well with me at least. Um, I hate that, like, you could be top of the table in your Eastern Conference, and then here comes, like, a team like, I don't know, DC United, who have been sucky all year this season, and they are just barely made the playoffs, and then they get a lucky run, and then they win the whole MLS Cup. I was like, all right, they're MLS Cup champions, but actually we're just, like, in last place all season, you know? Like, yeah, I feel like... Stumbling their way into the, into the yeah, I'm like that's so dumb. Like, how could you be MLS champion? Then, then you go and play Concacaf Champions League, and then you get annihilated because your team is really not as good as like LAFC or Toronto FC. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, that's it's what so, I would It's so crazy to me when you have. To, well, I mean, obviously this year we'll not, we won't have a supporter shield, but uh, but in the previous years, whenever we have a team win the supporter shield, like LAFC, I thought last year was to me was the scariest team I ever seen. I mean, definitely. And for them to not even even make the, the final was kind of baffling to me. And, and I mean, they won the support. And it seems like it's kind of like a hex to have like the supporters. You're like, you don't even want to win that thing. Um, exactly. Like, who cares? Like, and actually, just like even extra games. So, like, you did. You went all season. You got to the top of the table. Guess what? Now we gotta do like six to eight more games for the playoffs. You know. 
just to prove that you were the best team that year. Yeah, like here are some teams you already beat all year. Try to beat them again in, in more in a more competitive format, almost like for the playoffs. Yeah, I, I can I can see what you're saying there. I mean, when um, so last last episode we we actually me and Edward decided to partner up and try to change the like have our proposal for changing the MLS. And one of the things that I threw out was kind of copying Liga MX, which was having like an opening and closing season. Um, kind of having like that but mine wasn't having like the Eastern and Western Conference I personally don't I can care less for that but it's just because I obviously I want to start I want to see promotion relegations but I mean it will also benefit once we have lower leagues in this in in this league at some point Um, but I thought having that Liga MX you still have the the table setting but then at the same time you have that thrill of playoffs so I think the Liga MX format, the reason why I like it, I think a lot of people, at least here in the U.S., are familiar with that format. If you, yeah. if you live in North America, most likely you do watch at least some Mexican league soccer. Um, so you're already familiar with the format. And then the playoffs, I mean, it's still something that as an American fan, just American in general, you, you're familiar with the playoffs. Um, so you have like something that kind of pleases the soccer fans, but then at the same time you can kind of have something where a, a person that doesn't watch the MLS or just doesn't watch soccer can kind of get in and, and understand some sort of concept. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. I like that. That's a good idea, man. Then, like, you like, like you said, you like a piece to soccer fans and also just comments, regular sports fans from all, from all of the sports. Yeah, exactly. I kind of understand it. So... What is something to be excited about the MLS? I mean, obviously, 2020 has been just a crazy year, and and it's kind of been kind of hard to follow all this unless you are an MLS fan. Um, but what is something at least to be excited about in the future? I know, obviously, well, unfortunately for for you as a Philadelphia Union fan, you might be losing uh, Brandon Harrison. But um, but what is there something? To, what is there to be excited about for the MLS? Like I said, Brandon Anderson, the, the thing we're excited about, the elite base that I think we should all be excited about is um, our youth, our youth players, like players who are getting, you know, regular starting 11 lineup uh, starting games, um, players who are coming up through the academies, who are making an impact for their team um, and then getting bought from other big teams from Europe. Like, like you said, Brandon Aronson, a player who was improving really good Last, last season, he did really good. And this season, he kind of just blew up, got, you know, got the recognition that he deserves. Um, there's a lot more players coming up that I think, like I said in my last video, deserve to really be getting a transfer over to Europe. Like, I think that our youth players are really, is what's going to be like like a, a selling point for our, our league right now while we're in this like growing phase. I think we can like market these young, these young players coming up. We can get them hype. We can get some good hype behind them. And to get transferred, even more hype. Like, like, oh my God, Barcelona just bought this guy from DC United. Here, we, like, this is great. Like, we produce this player. Like, that's just better exposure for us. We just not just America, but also the rest of the world. And they can take us more seriously. I think, I think it's, I think I, I completely agree with that because I mean, obviously, you want to. If we can't be at least, at least in the, in the discussion for being the top league, but be at least one of the best leagues in in farming. A lot of young players. Yeah, like producing talent, like good talent. I mean, Bayern Munich basically has been like plucking off of FC Dallas for years now, what it feels like. Um, yeah. 
and, and I mean, we've, we've seen, and I mean, it's, it's really cool seeing all these guys that have played in, well, have been affiliated with MLS. I'm not going to say that all of them have played for MLS, but have some sort of affiliation with MLS and now are in, in the top tier in some of these European leagues. Obviously, Weston McKenna, FC Dallas product, uh, now playing for your, the first American to play for Juventus. Um, you know, see, you're seeing more and more of these guys proving it. I, I, I like, you know, I, I love the theory that people were saying, like, oh man, if you put an MLS player out there in Europe, they wouldn't make it. And both of you guys are, are in the starting lineup. Which I was, yeah, I was surprised to see that from Weston McKinney. Not saying that I'm surprised, but I know he's a good player, but as stacked as that, as that Juventus team is, and for him to be a regular. That he's starting, that's great. Yeah, like it's, it's very, it's very like. Like, yeah, it's very surprising. Like, we expected, but we didn't think it ever going to happen, especially for a team like that, like the, top, the biggest team in Italy. And, and just, I mean, obviously, you're, uh, aside from MLS, you're also a big U.S. soccer uh, proponent, I guess you can say. Um, and, and now seeing all these American players that are playing with some of the, I mean, we just saw Sergino Des playing at Plastico, and I think had a really good game. Yeah, um, in El despite the loss, he, he, he played great. Yeah. And so... Um, I mean, you're seeing all these. You still have Conor De La Fuente that you're hoping maybe, maybe he'll 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 play at some. I feel like he needs to go on loan personally, just so he can get some more reps in. But you're seeing guys play for Barcelona. You're seeing guys play for Juventus. You got Christian Pulisic being the number ten for Chelsea. Um, you're you're seeing a lot of American players now getting these big opportunities with these top of the line clubs. I mean, you have Pep Guardiola wanting Zach Steffens. I mean. It looks like America yeah. is on the right track, at least. Uh, I'm not as confident in Fair Furrowhalter, but I think I think at least we have the talent. Yeah, I think for the November, um, the the roster in November that we're gonna do like some friendlies, I think against Wales and some other teams. I think that it, like I don't know if it's a real FIFA calendar international day friendly or whatever so that we can call up our Europe-based players as well. I think that friendly should really be or probably will be mostly European you know USA soccer players and then some here are their MLS players picked in there uh, from our from our own league but yeah our national team is looking really good for the future not like right away but for the future it's looking really really good and going back to Conor De La Fuente at Barca the, um, I've heard and seen that they kind of want him to um, they're kind of transitioning him to be like a left back instead of being left wing since they need more help at the back in defensive. So I think having him become like a left a left back player and if he succeeds there, that could be like really cool to see Death on the right then Conrad on the left. No, I think that, that, that's obviously a smart move for them. I think that, 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 well, that, that helps us out because I do think that uh, fullback is not necessarily one of the more stack positions if you begin with me. Um, but no, yeah, I think I think USA is trending in the right direction. I think MLS, if, if they can if they can really get things going, I think personally I want to see a salary cap being removed because <laughs> um, yeah. I think that that's also something that's kind of hindering the MLS. But I think you know the MLS is still growing and still learning how to really form their league. And I mean a lot of these a lot of these other leagues they're kind of like already hitting their hundred year century, you know, their hundred year marks. I mean like. You know, they're, they've been established for years, and, and I mean, we're, we're barely 25, um, so we're still making poor decisions. So, I mean, that's kind of what the MLS is, you know, MLS is basically, uh, you know, a, a, one of us, we're still kind of learning as life goes. 
Um, so I think it's really cool to see that. And I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting to see just U.S. just soccer as a whole. So, I mean, it, there's a lot of things just to be excited about it in, in, as yeah. far as U.S. soccer goes. Yeah, like uh, it's, it's up and coming. It, this is what we all have been waiting for to see like some good talent from us, some youth talent and like actually good plan, like a, a good, I don't know, like a good system plan. Like, and, and, like we have with all these young players potential for the 20, 2022 World Cup success and then even further to the 2026 World Cup. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, totally. All right, man. So we're going to have to start cutting it because uh, we're almost at that time. But thanks for, for one, giving us time to, to talk to you, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited that I was having this opportunity. Um, you're a friend of the show. So, I mean, anytime you want to get on, just let us know and we'll have no problem. Uh, hopefully we can get Edward also in, in these interviews as well. Um, but yeah, also, cool. yeah, anytime. Yeah, man. Um, is, so go ahead and let everybody know um, how they can follow you or reach you. You guys can subscribe to me at Kicking It With Drew SC on YouTube. You guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Drew B underscore. All right, That's man. It. So thank you. Thank you for us kicking it with Drew today. So thanks for so much, That's man. That's right. All right. Yeah, th- anytime, man. All right. Thanks. Everybody is always busy. Either it's work, school, work and school, or two jobs, or study, work, school, write paper, or thesis, or whatever. Anyway, we all have busy lives, and for some of us, reading is just not an option sometimes. Or we can't really make time for it. Audible allows you to listen to your books at your own convenience. Start a free 30-day trial now by going to audible.com slash insertnamefc. Audible is a proud sponsor of Insert Name FC. Next up, we have... Eli Lesser from This Week in MLS with Eli Lesser. Um, so, really interesting interview. Um, I think it was really fun. A cool guy. Um, and I, I think he, he's very informative and he's very uh, well informed in the MLS. So I'll go ahead and let's get to that interview. Yeah, let's do it. All right, guys, with us is a very special guest. Um, I guess MLS reporter would be, I guess is the right way to say it. Uh, host of This Week in MLS, Mr. Eli Lesser. Hello. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, no problem, man. So we always start uh, our interviews with the same question. And that question is, what got you into soccer? Yeah, so unlike a lot of soccer fans in general who start falling in love with soccer with the Premier League or Barcelona or Madrid, I actually started with MLS. MLS was my first exposure to soccer. Um, My grandpa was a huge European soccer fan, but when David Beckham came to the LA Galaxy, I'm from LA by the way, he uh, he wanted to take me to games and see him play. So that's my first exposure really to soccer. And since then, I've fallen in love with the league and the sport. And I follow other leagues now, but MLS has always been my main focus. Wow. So so David Beckham got you into soccer. That is crazy because this is actually going to be episode 23. <laughs> so that's, that's very ironic in its own way. So um, so that's unique, though. We don't get many people that straight up just say that, that they initially started with MLS. Like MLS is what got them into it. Um, but here you are, you know, uh, so are you an LA Galaxy fan or, or? I am a neutral fan now, um, just because of me covering the entire league and also with the LAFC rivalry and how LAFC have treated me because they've treated me really well. I can't, I can't just tell them I'm a Galaxy fan because then they're going to hate me or something. Um, so I'm very 
neutral now. I don't root for a particular MLS team, but I am a Manchester United fan. Okay, so you and Edward would, would, would be very good friends because he's a new fan right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's always been a man. I don't know why I said right now, but um, but that's uh, that's really interesting. So, I mean, I think that there's maybe one team that you do kind of troll a little bit, and that's maybe the San Jose Earthquakes. <laughs> yeah, that comes from uh, th- that does come from the Cali Classico rivalry with the LA Galaxy. Um, I grew up disliking them just because <laughs> of that. Before I got into like covering MLS. I felt the rivalry, and uh, there was nothing more I wanted than for the Galaxy to beat the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, and, you know, now uh, the San Jose Earthquakes try to continue that. Uh, they posted one of my Twitter takes uh, when I said, oh, this team sucks, when they made the last seed of the playoffs. <laughs> they barely made the playoffs. Um, they posted my take, and then they threw it into a dumpster. Um, so that that kind of ignited me, and then I said, you, you guys aren't going to win a playoff match at all, and they didn't. They lost in pens, and it was a pretty pathetic penalty shootout. Uh, <laughs> they did not make a single penalty in that shootout, so I kind of won in the end. Um, either way, I got free press from that, and it was great. That's how you know you made it when you have like a club you know, wanting to try to dunk on you, and it kind of backfired on them. <laughs> That's the first club to recognize me, but like the first to like say something or like use one of my posts or something. So kind of going with your with your platform, I believe you just recently just started with a YouTube channel, but you've mainly been with Instagram. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been with Instagram since 2015, and I'm soon gonna launch my own YouTube show. So that's why I started uh, my own YouTube channel, and that's why like my Instagram videos are now popping up on YouTube as well. Oh, okay, that's really cool. So, what got you? What made you want to be an MLS reporter? I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster from the beginning of time when everyone wanted to be Spider Man, Cinderella. I wanted to be a broadcaster. And I went to a broadcasting camp in 2014. And back then, my main sport was baseball. I was a huge Dodger fan. I mean, this is an audio, but you can see me wearing a Dodger hoodie right now. Um, just ignore the, the Astros banner that's over there. Just, just ignore. Oh, no. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> you know what? We finally got our ring. Um, but I, I came to that broadcast camp the first day wearing my Dodger hat and a gray hoodie. And I look around the room and everyone else is wearing a Dodger hat and a gray hoodie. And I'm like, this is kind of cool, but it's also kind of weird. And throughout that week, I wanted to talk a little bit of soccer with some of the campers. And no one knew anything about soccer. I was like, this is odd. So then by that next year, I returned to that camp. And I had started this week in MLS and I was like, I'm going to be the MLS guy. I'm just, that's going to be my way to the industry. Um, It's a league that I want to be a part of because it has so much growth potential and I want to be part of that growth. Um, So that's how it really started. And then since then, I mean, that's what um, all of what I do has become. I mean, you definitely got quite the blow because I I believe you're you're almost at 49,000 followers on on Instagram. Almost. Um, and it, you did a really great job. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it, it started slow, and then around 2018, it really picked up. I, I think I gained like 20,000 followers that year, and that was like insane. And that just is what really started it. So, what do you think was that that helped you blow up essentially? Uh, definitely the content I used to post back then, which is content I wouldn't recommend posting now. Um, I used to post a lot of rumors and stuff, and that got me into a little trouble every now and then. Um, but then also, I would post little 
little, what I would call many articles, they were just long captions on Instagram, like profiling a player. And every now and then a player would see it and they'd like it and they would like show it off and put it on their story. And that's, I think, when the followings really started. So what would you give to like someone that's maybe trying to either start up a YouTube channel or maybe trying to get to where, where you are? Like what, what would be that advice? All you have to do is stay consistent. You have to like continue posting consistent. You have to find what, what exactly you want to be posting. Use that as your identity and just keep posting it. Um, and if you, the more you post, the more people will potentially see your work and also the more people will come back to your work. You can't post some stuff for a few months and then take like eight months off because, oh, you didn't think it was working. Then you try to come back. Uh, I've seen a lot of pages come and go during my time. But I think the reason why I've stayed put is because I've just kept posting. I think that's a very good point. I think like obviously when you're just starting, you know, you're, there's probably like some frustration because you're not getting the likes that you're hoping for. Or you're, you're just not getting that following that you would you would hope, but kind of like how you said, like, you know, as long as you're consistent with it, you know, someone's going to catch you and then they're going to, you know, follow you through. And, and that's where, you know, I think that's what kind of a lot of people maybe give up so easily is because they think that it's just going to happen right away when in reality, that's not how it works. Yeah. I mean, that never happens unless you do some, something stupid to go viral. <laughs> that, that's the only way that would, you could be famous overnight. Um, but even like with my YouTube channel now, like I don't have a lot of subscribers, but the, the goal is to just keep uh, releasing videos because that will heighten my chances of my videos being seen in general. I mean, that's how everyone has to start. Yep, you gotta start somewhere. That's like that's I think that's like the best way to look at it. Um, so I'm a Dynamo fan, and I have been really like not necessarily the most. Com- I mean, aside from just having Tab Ramos, I'm not necessarily that confident in the, in the organization itself. But if you were able to make me have some faith in this team, what would it be? Oh, this is the hardest question <laughs> I've ever gotten. I hate to be a Debbie Downer about the Houston Dynamo. Um, well, you guys got James Harden as an owner. If you could get him to shoot some soccer balls instead of some basketballs, maybe you guys got a chance. <laughs> uh, I think he's too busy in Brooklyn right now. But... I know. Um, but no, things aren't the best for the Dynamo. However, if they could invest in the academy, like FC Dallas has invested, I know you don't want me to praise FC Dallas. Oh uh, no, I mean I get it. I mean even I've, I'm very, I'm actually envious of of the FC Dallas Academy. I mean yeah. they they get Weston McKinney and, and you know the best part we've had so far is Memo Rodriguez. So. I mean the best, some of the best American soccer players ever come from Texas, like Clint, Clint Dempsey's from Texas. So like. If you guys could invest in the academy, because it does seem like you guys aren't going to be going after like the big name players, maybe big names from Mexico and South America, but not like the big European stars. So if you could invest in the academy like FC Dallas does, well, like you guys would put up a squad. And even if you don't put up a squad, you'll put up a young and fun squad that makes a lot of money in the transfer market. Yeah, you know, and that's what I hope for. At least with, with ta- I think like, like I said, the only thing that like makes me feel positive is Tab Ramos, and I think it's just because of his approach with you, talent. He's great. He's he is one of the best coaches in MLS. I just wish he had a better team to help him. Um, but Memo, I actually really like Memo, and I think uh, he's gonna have a big season if the 2021 season ends up happening, which hopefully it does. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you guys have some players. 
sad to see guys like Elisco and Minotasco when they've been your guys' rocks for the past couple of seasons. But at the same time, at least you guys made some money off it. Now it's all about what you do with that money. Um, unfortunately, they didn't. Get, I think they lost more than they gained from the Ellis deal. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you definitely have a good point. Um, so, kind of, kind of going back with the MLS. Is, what is it? At least if there is a season to happen, what is there to be excited for? Like coming up the season. I mean, just more young American talent. <laughs> because what we've seen over the past couple of years is. First, MLS was seen as like this retirement league when all the David Beckhams and Thierry Henry's came to the league. Then we became a league where uh, teams were looking at South America for the best talent, which I think we're still at. But at the same time, now like the academies are getting better and better, and we're seeing so many American youngsters going to top European clubs. And I think teams are trying to realize that and realize that that's the path to success. Um, at least in making money more than winning te- or winning championships. So that's that. Um, and I can't wait for the next generation of the young Americans to come, which is weird because now every season seems like a new generation of young stars just coming up. And that's what's most exciting for me, at least, in MLS right now. Okay. Um, do you have like a, a, a prediction for this? I mean, obviously the MLS season is not, is not for like a few more few more weeks, but is there like a prediction that you think you can you can make for this coming season? Yeah, the safest bet to say would be the Columbus Crew. Um, they, they obviously won the 2020 MLS Cup, but they got better this offseason, adding Kevin Molino, who was one of the stars for Minnesota last season, and Bradley Wright Phillips, New York Red Bull legend. Um, so just adding those two guys to an already championship team, they have to be considered the favorites um, to go back to back. Um, but in MLS, teams don't usually go back back so we really don't know yep i think only as far as i can remember i know for sure the la galaxy and of course the houston dynamo but <laughs> i know a lot of people like to throw an asterisk on that one <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah not many backpacks like you could say like dc in the first two seasons of mls went back to back was a big deal um uh, i think houston might have won it back to back i know a long time ago but otherwise yeah, teams don't go back to back, especially nowadays when the league is so so competitive every season. New teams rise, old teams fall, and just the Seattle Sounders will always make the MLS Cup. So. <laughs> but um, so this is gonna be my last question for you. Now, the the one thing that we know for sure is that there's one final hump for people to finally, I guess, look at the MLS as a as a true league. And I think it's obviously to win the CONCACAF Champions League. And so my question is, do you think, we're, how close is it, is it for an MLS team to finally lift the CONCACAF Champions League? Closer than we've ever been before. I think an MLS team can probably win it next year or in the next couple of seasons. LAFC's run this year, beating three Liga MX teams on the way to the final. Sure, they lost the final, but just knocking out three of the clubs in one tournament was a record, something we haven't seen. And the teams are getting better and better. And LAFC didn't even have a good 2020 season. They just happened to go on this run. So any team could do it. And I think teams like the Columbus Crew might go for it next year. Seattle Sounders will be back. Philadelphia Union, I mean, they might not be playing for the MLS Cup this coming year because they, they lost a lot this offseason. So they might go all all in for the CONCACAF Champions League, which is something that is possible. All right. 
I like the sound of that. All right, so Eli, thank you for giving us your time. One of the things that I always say is that time is very precious and valuable. And so for someone to give me some time, I definitely always try to show my appreciation for it. But uh, go ahead and tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, follow me on Instagram at This Week in MLS. Follow me on Twitter at Eli Lesser FC. And then uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Eli Lesser for This Week in MLS. It's like both. Um, and yeah, that's it. All right, man. Thanks for giving us the time. No, thank you so much for having me. All right, guys. So here with me, I have a very, very special guest. 11 years of professional soccer experience that includes the Bundesliga, the MLS, three-time MLS All-Star, 35 caps for the U.S. men's national team. You've probably seen him on ESPN, Fox, BN Sports, and I think also at CNN. And currently the chief creative officer for Four Soccer Ventures, Mr. Heath Pierce. Hello. How's it going? Man, I'm like, so, I, I mean, obviously my podcast is pretty, we're like now, well, this will be featured on our 21st episode. So we're very like new and to get like someone like yourself is, is pretty huge for us. Um, especially as with your background in, in content creation. Cause I also believe you did some work with Copa 90. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 uh, spent four years. I actually retired and went to a company at the time it was called kick TV. It was bought by Copa 90. It eventually became part of the Copa 90 family, uh, and spent four years there. Uh, doing on-camera work after I retired. I actually ended up retiring because of the opportunity um, and comparing that to other contract offers that I had to keep playing just seemed like a good good chance. So yeah, I got to spend some time at Copa 90 uh, for, for yeah, oh, quite a while. That's cool. So we always start off with this is kind of asking everybody, what got you into soccer? Like what made you fall in love with the game? Good question. Um, Honestly, I think it was just playing with friends. I grew up in a part of California, very multicultural from, uh, you know, it, it was a agricultural area. So a lot of farmlands and dairies and ranches. And so we had a lot of uh, Italian and Portuguese people, a lot of Mexican people, a lot of Middle Eastern people. Uh, and so there was just this natural culture of soccer in my neighborhood. Uh, so we had a lot of kids whose dads, you know, none of them knew how to coach or anything like that, but knew the game, right? They, they which in that part of, uh, for Northern California at the time was rare, unless you grew up in most likely a, a Mexican or Hispanic community. So there was a lot of culture of the game and all of my friends played it and we had dads that were coaches and it just was the easiest thing to be able to do, right? Just get together and, and kick a ball around. And so, uh, it became kind of a common point for all of us kids to go to the park and play. And and that's sort of how I fell in love. That's always the best part is like, you don't really need much. All you need is a ball, maybe like a few like rolled up, like, you know, jackets and use them as goals. And you could just have a game like that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I you know, I, I go back to a lot of these memories when I was a kid and that's pretty much what we had. Even as I started to get into like the nine, 10, 11, 12 range, just go out in the street, put two shoes down and, and you had a goal. Um, you know, you just had to chase the ball longer if you, if you scored or, or you missed, but if you missed the person who shot it had to chase it. And if you scored, you didn't have to chase it. So those were the, those are the consequences of taking a shot when you play kind of in the middle of the street or something like that. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's what made it easy, right? Uh, I had access to a park and there were goals that were like, I don't know, five feet tall then. And, and, um, we all grew up all me and all my friends that are still my friends to this day, 
uh, grew up in the same same neighborhood, um, and and that was sort of the meeting point. And it still is now for all of their kids. I don't live there anymore, but my friends that still live there, that's the meeting point for them and their kids now is the playground where the soccer fields are. So going from the playground to now being a pro, so what was that moment where you realized, like, you know, holy shit, I'm about to be a professional soccer player? Honestly, it was probably after... You know, growing up, I, I never dreamed of being playing for a certain club because of the lack of access to games and things like that. All I knew was like Olympics and national team. Like that was my big goal is like play for the U.S. men's national team. Um, and that was always sort of my dream. So when I played, when I, when I made it professionally, it wasn't until I had my first game that I was like, oh, okay, I'm a pro now. And I wasn't even sure that I was going to play professionally, but I just kind of had it like, I blocked out this idea that I might not, right? It was just sort of like this one track mind of by any means necessary, I'm going to find a club. I'm going to find a team. You know, I'm going to find a way to play professionally. And it ended up working out for me. Uh, but it wasn't until I played for the national team that I felt like, okay, now I'm a professional, right? This was a goal that I had set from, a, from my childhood. Yeah, I wanted to play professional soccer for a club team, but I never dreamed of being like, until I was older, I didn't grow up from a young age. Like when I was in junior high school, I used to sign Heath Pierce. Uh, U.S. men's national team and yearbooks and stuff like that was like a goal that I had created uh, in my head that I was going after. So I'd say my first national team game is when I really felt like, oh, I'm a professional now. I've I've, I've achieved something that I had worked to, you know forever to try to get. Man, I bet you a bunch of your classmates right now don't know whether or not to do with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's it's funny because I didn't remember actually doing that, and it was actually my it was my friends that came back and told me, and my my parents that said you used to sign all your yearbooks this way. You know, when you're young, you're just you're just mm-hmm. doing things, and and uh, so that was always a, a a huge goal of mine. Whereas when I when I signed my first professional contract and played my first professional game uh, on on the club level, it all just became like okay. It almost like chasing a high and then it's like, okay, what's next, right? How can I improve? How can I get better? How can I get to a bigger club? How can I, whatever. You, you, I didn't have a chance to stop and enjoy it. Whereas like my national team debut, I really had a chance, even though I only played like 20 minutes in that game against Scotland, uh, in Scotland, you know, I subbed on for DeMarcus Beasley. Uh, uh, you know, like I was now on the field with my heroes, many of which I had grown up watching. Uh, and, and it felt like this whole, like, oh, wow, take it all in. Like I'm, I played for the national team. I remember just, I remember every moment of that. Whereas like my first club game, I don't remember a lot from that. So talking about the club level, you did end up playing abroad. Uh, what was it like being an American player, you know, playing in, obviously not in the United States? Yeah, it was different in every place. In, in Copenhagen, it was easy because everybody spoke English, right? And everybody was well-read and very cultured. And so they had an understanding of, of what it was like, uh, you know, in the U.S. Uh, it was hard at times because it's such a small country that they're all used to traveling around Europe and things like that, but they don't know what it was. They didn't know what it was like to be nine time zones different for me and this far from my family and the ebb and flow of, of being a professional athlete. I didn't have a a team of people around me, like all my teammates, right? We had a couple foreign players, but for the most part, they were domestic players. And, you know, the furthest they could have lived is three hour drive from their parents if they were from Denmark or maybe four max. But uh, everybody grew up close and had their network around them, had their friends and had everything. So like this was just their job and their life. 
Whereas for me, it was a complete fish out of water type thing. But living in the city was easy just because you spoke English. Uh, they spoke English. Whereas when I moved to Germany, almost no one spoke English. Unless you were like 18 or younger when I got there, uh, then you were learning English in schools. But anybody older than that was learning like Russian or Polish or other second languages. So that was a bit of a struggle. And it wasn't until I learned German that I really felt like, oh, okay, I really like it here because now I can communicate. I can go to the grocery store. I can go to a restaurant. And the people also accept you a lot more when you try to immerse yourself in the culture. So, uh, so yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of distinction to being American other than, you know, other than just being a foreigner in in a, in a foreign place. So, um, but yeah, they were both uh, fantastic experiences and then finished my career in Sweden and very similar to Copenhagen. People spoke English and, and, um, was just a really, people were really warm and, and kind. I think it's uh, interesting how, you know, you didn't really hear about many American players that were, uh, playing abroad. I mean, there was like a small handful that did, including yourself. Um, and now it it just seems like every every day now we're finding out another American. Like recently, uh, Hope is the the new name that that we're finding out over in in uh, in Schalke. Um, so, what do you think has changed over the years? Where now it seems that everybody's trying to get their hands on an American player. Honestly, uh, Major League Soccer's I think the main credit for all of this stuff. Uh, the development academy from U.S. Soccer that's now going to be MLS Next. I think all of those things that kind of go unrewarded are the main factors for the success of the players now. There's not outside of Christian Pulisic, who was probably just a little early on the MLS Academy side. You've got Weston McKinney was in an academy. Uh, Tyler Adams was in an academy. Uh, Hope was was in uh, the development academy. Like these guys are all part of a system that is now starting to make sure that we don't have a, one, a bunch of players that fall through the cracks locally, but two, um, have an ability to recognize talent and develop and nurture talent. Uh, that's now creating these pipelines of players that are happening, um, regularly, right? We have these, like we're seeing, you know, seven players in the knockout rounds of the champions league. And this is just the beginning of the amount of players that we have. Like the pipelines are super, super deep. And it's all because these guys are stepping into, you know, you know, my generation, we went to the, the, the best you could get was going to Bradenton for IMG Academy at part of the residency program. And that was the best when I was there was the best 20 kids for your age group in the country, but it's odd years. So I was an 84. So the 83s and the 85s, unless, unless the 85 was a super talent, he didn't come in. So that generation was missed. And then the 86s would come in. And so the 87s would be missed. Um, and so it was just a really broken system. Whereas now, and also you had to move away from home at 15 years old. Whereas now these kids are able to be in professional environments with professional training, also understand the rigors of what it's like to be a professional at a young age. So, you know, you go over to Europe at 18, 19, 20 years old. When I got there at 20, we came from a college environment, right? We played four months of the year and, and my environment was as close to a professional environment as you could get. I played under a guy named Clive Charles. He was the Olympic coach at the time. And his whole purpose was I want to develop pros um, and develop people. So it was a professional environment, but it was still seasonal. It was still part-time versus now, now these guys that go to Europe, they've been in the system where they're training every day, training twice a day. They have long pre-seasons. They're expected to eat and drink a certain way and carry themselves as professionals, uh, which was, I think, also a part that was missing. That's very, it's, it's, it's just a, a normality now. 
So um, obviously we kind of covered the the youth development part of the MLS, but where uh, how have you seen the MLS evolve from as far as in your perspective? Just go look at the All Star teams. Uh, you know, my, the All Star teams that I was on versus the All Star teams you you have now in terms of the quality of players, the age of the player, um, the name of the player. It's just obviously I think it's a harder place for Americans to develop in the first teams. I don't think I don't think every player should go abroad. I don't think every player should stay. Uh, but because of the investment and the mechanisms created to improve the rosters. There's less of an emphasis on developing Americans uh, now because it's not Major League Soccer's job to develop Americans in the first teams. It's 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 not U.S. Soccer's job. It's it's you know the player has to be able to 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 compete. And so I think there's still some gaps missing there. But the quality of the league itself, you're starting to see, you know, Atlanta, for example, is taking these top players out of Argentina that are linked to huge clubs in Europe and spending the transfer fee and bringing them in at. 21, 22 years old, knowing that, hey, there's a huge upside uh, and a potential to sell these guys on. And Miguel Almiron, for example, uh, you know, knowing that uh, that uh, there, there's an opportunity that, for that. Obviously, Houston's one of the few uh, MLS clubs that has such a large Central American contingency now, right? It used to be when they first created these mechanisms, then we were developing all, all the players from Central America were coming to MLS. And now... We're going to South America. We're going to South America, and we're going to some of the bigger leagues and bringing in better players. And so, I think that's pushing, uh, limiting the opportunities for some of the Concacaf countries as well. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the league overall is in is in a great place. I think the product on the field is better. I think the more clubs are buying into a philosophy and looking years down the line, you know, our uh, the, the company we have now, Four Soccer Ventures, in the extended family, the, the guy who 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 founded our our business. It's Richie Graham from the Philadelphia Union, um, the one who is behind the YSC Academy. That's you know now sold Mark McKenzie and 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 Brendan Aronson, and and now uh, you know has this pipeline of players coming through. You know they bought into Jim Curtin. They've given him a long time. Jim Curtin bought into a system. They now have a philosophy. They now have a business model that's sustainable. And yes, there is a certain point where the fans go, "Hey, but we also want trophies." You know, we we want to be entertained. We want trophies. We don't just want there to be this pipeline of players, but. Um, sorry, I'm on a little bit of a rant right now, but my point is, is that my, 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 my point is, is that the more clubs buy into a long-term philosophy and a system, the less you have this turnover, like the galaxy, for example, right now of kind of post Bruce arena where, you know, or sort of the post Landon Donovan, uh, you know, David Beckham era where new coach comes in, he brings in a whole new staff. You give him a short run, doesn't work out. You change him. Next coach comes in, same thing. Whereas the more you can buy into an actual system, so you're bringing a coach that buys into or agrees with the values of the club, uh, the more that you can keep a coach around to help build into that project, like a Jim Curtin at Philadelphia Union. Jim Curtin didn't have great a great start, but it was a process, right? They were building up their academy. They were building up their first team. They were building up their sporting philosophy. And, and I think the more clubs do that, the better this league is going to be for a number of different reasons the more consistent the style of plays across teams are going to be. Um, you'll never get rid of the fact that Toronto's going to play in certain weather, certain times of the year that, that I never wanted to go and play in Houston in the summer. Uh, you know, you're not going to get rid of those elements that exist or playing at mile high in, in Denver. Those are certain things that are never going to change, but the, the sporting philosophies and the more that you can build that tradition and history within the clubs, the better those clubs are ultimately going to be in the long term, and the better 
the more you're going to recruit better players that that improve the quality of the league. That makes sense. So where do you see the MLS in, in the next five years? Oh man, that's a real hard question. Um, it's hard in this pandemic year right now with the CBA happening and everything going on. Um, I don't think that's going to set the league back necessarily, but I would like to see the league be considered by 2026 after we host a world cup with us and us, Mexico and Canada, um, a league that has completely different perception globally, right? It's no longer this whole, I would love to finish my career there. And I think we're way past that now, right? People like Messi can finish their career in major league soccer. People like Neymar, people like even Griezmann can come, but, but now we're starting to see players come at an earlier age when, when David Villa came, when um, Giovinco came, when, you know, we're, we're, uh, even Thierry Henry came not at the very, very end. And it's only getting younger. Um, Wayne Rooney, same thing. Uh, I, I think Zlatan was a special example, but like I, I see it as a league where you're getting, you're, you're now competing with the biggest, five years is hard, but I, I, I want to see the, I want to see MLS being able to recruit and bring players in in their prime um, and be part of the conversation when, you know, take out the top 20 clubs in the world uh, or the super clubs. Maybe that's 10. Um, where major league soccer teams that are doing it right are in the conversation to bring those players in on big contracts um, in the primes of their careers and uh, is also a, a pipeline for, for development of, of, of young Americans or young players from the region. That's a, that's a good one. Um, and by so, the way, by the way, on that, I, I think also more players from Mexico, more, I think, you know, more interleague play will, will take place in the next five years, but more players from Mexico coming at, at the prime of their careers and on the younger side, seeing, you know, competing with, instead of going to Chivas or America, what's, you know, can you offer the same sort of thing? Do they think that the, the salaries, the quality, the, all those things um, play into it? And I, and I think we're going to see more of that as well. I agree with that. I think uh, the big factor right now is, I mean, obviously we want to see the MLS clubs compete with with some of the best in the world, but also I think the first test right now is is to beat a Liga MXI, which I mean, we we saw uh, LAFC almost had it in the Concap Champions League this this past uh, this past uh, final. Almost um, doesn't count. Almost yeah, doesn't count. Doesn't count. But it's like you're you're almost there. You're kind of getting it. But um, I think obviously the first hump will be beating a Liga MXI, but um, just to see where they go when they do get a chance to compete in a club World Cup, um, if if that's still going to be a thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, I remember going into that that final. They were asking, I don't know if it was the Brazilians um, that were playing or or somebody, you know, talked about the club World Cup is like the biggest tournament for the Brazilian league, right? Like you win your, you win domestically or you win your intercontinental tournament. You go to the, uh, you know, you win Copa Lib, you go to the club world cup, you get to play Real Madrid and that's their real, like it's their biggest thing. And, and I still think club world cups, probably not the biggest thing for uh, Mexican teams or, or, or American teams. However, you know, being, I think being the champion of the region is, is bigger than the club world cup itself because it's, it's just a, it's, a, it's, it's just different. And I think obviously LAFC had this crazy hard run to get to the final. It should be seen as a success. However, it's still that last hump that major league soccer needs, whether it was 
the LA Galaxy before, or it was Toronto FC, or it was Montreal uh, losing, uh, Salt Lake losing, now uh, now LAFC, same sort of thing. You know, it's a hump that I think MLS needs to get over um, to to be able to really put itself in the conversation for for best in the you know the better league in the region or competitive with Mexico uh, to 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 think that. Um, you know, an LAFC or, or Atlanta, if you put them into Liga Mekis, uh, that they could compete on a regular basis or challenge for titles, right? You need to be able to show that it's not just beating teams along the way. You also have to win those trophies in a final. I totally agree. Um, kind of now going with the, the U.S. men's national team, obviously you have, you've, you've been uh, appeared in 35 games. Um, how much has the U.S. men's national team changed um, in your opinion? Uh, in what ways? Um, obviously, I think one. I think it's gotten younger. I've, I think that was one of the the big things to take is also the fact that you're seeing guys that are more not only doing well in Europe, but seeing guys that are also doing well in in the MLS. Uh, Jordan Morris was was one of the names that you think of. Uh, well, obviously, he's uh, going on loan to Swan City. Uh, but now you're seeing, you know, that that combination of of what you would hope for the U.S. men's national team, which is a combination of MLS players, but also abroad players as well. Um, and so, is that is that that good mix? And and kind of, do you see it? How has it changed from from where you were? Yeah. So, to sort of take it a couple steps back, when I first got into the national team under Bruce Arena, it was primarily MLS players, and there was some players abroad. Bob was a mix. Jurgen was more Euro players than, than domestic. Um, and the reason you're seeing young players now isn't because Greg wants young players, right? Like he still has it. Uh, uh, it's not that he doesn't. It's just that we had this missing generation of players. So the U.S. didn't qualify for, for U-20 World Cups, missed the Olympics twice. That generation of players never showed up. They're gone. Like they, and, that, and I don't, I don't know where, who in the late '80s to early '90s born um, window are are gone, right? And so now you've got this crop of players. Uh, that's the first generation of players coming through academies, the first generation of players that are in professional environments, and they're young, right? We're not talking about Weston McKinney uh, at the prime of his career going to, to Juventus. We're talking about in his early 20s playing every game at Juventus, right? We're not talking about Tyler Adams. Like before, if, 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 if Hoppy or uh, Hoppe or uh, Hope, uh, whatever, is, uh, however you say his name, Matthew at Schalke, like we would have been like, we would have latched onto him and been like, this is our guy. He's going to, he, he has to be successful. Um, but prior to him scoring these goals, no one talked about him because we've got players everywhere you know, Josh Sargent plays every game in the Bundesliga. If Josh, and even though he doesn't score much, we would have been like, this is the best striker we've ever had. And now he's a guy that's competing for a starting spot in the national team, but not guaranteed because we've got uh, potentially Akinola, or we've got Daryl DK, we've got, you know, we've got this pipeline of, of, of players. And so it's younger, it's better. The default level of if these guys don't make it to the top clubs in Europe, they default to to something that was better than the our best guys in our prime, right? When you talk about Michael Bradley at Roma, 
coming off the bench. Uh, Clint Dempsey in and out of the lineup at Spurs, but Aregula at Tottenham. I mean, uh, at Fulham, you know, the full America area where we are building players that discipline and hardworking, but like generally are fighting relegation every year, um, you know, and have that good fighting mentality, which helped us qualify for World Cups, but isn't necessarily a recipe for competing with the best national teams in the world. There's just a lot of these pieces that are coming together and a team that's young. Uh, and so I think it's a blessing in disguise that we have a missing generation because these guys are going to get minutes. They're going to get caps. They're playing at big clubs. Uh, and they are the face of the future of the national team, not just for their prime, um, not just, you know, for the next decade, potentially. Uh, and then the next young players are going to be coming through. So, yeah, it's it's very different than it's ever been. I think they're more positive uh, with with regard to social media and interacting with each other than we've ever seen. You know, they every time one of them's doing well, like all those guys in the national team are all giving each other love on social media. They're friends. They're like, they've rallied in the right way, right? We've chucked a ton of pressure on them that it would be easy for them to be, you know, fighting with each other and sort of insecure and kind of like, you know, fighting for their own place. But instead they've rallied together with that pressure of the failures of 2018 and now having to carry that burden on their back. So it's, it's different in, in a ton of ways, but they still have a lot of work to do um, as a national team, ton of good individuals. And the flip side is now, uh, what happens when you have club over country guys, when you have guys that are all come in and they're all multimillionaires and they are all stars in their own right. And, and, and now they've got to figure out a way to gel together because that's the next step of where this is going that you've got to figure out. So, um, but it's a good problem to have and, and, and certainly, uh, very different than, than national teams have passed. Uh, but one thing that we had when I was in the national teams before was that, that unity, uh, under Bob Bradley, under, under Bruce Arena that unity of what it may, means to play for the national team and, and what it means to qualify for a world cup that these guys got to now figure out together. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's positive, uh, looking positive. Uh, yeah. So me and my co-host Edward, we've, we've kind of said that I think we're in, in the beginning of a golden generation for us soccer, um, that it's not going to be just, uh, competing for, for gold cups and qualifying for world cups. We, we could possibly be looking at, at contenders, uh, once these guys have like that chemistry and that build, which I mean, I feel like they're building it as we speak right now. Um, would you, would that be fair to say that this is a golden generation? I don't know if I would call it a golden generation. I think because I think that's not giving credit to the what's in the pipeline. I think this is the first, this is sort of the arrival. And while I think it's by far the most talented we've ever had, um, I do think that there's going to be better players coming through that are between 14 and 17 years old right now that are going to be as good or better than this group. Um, when you look across the sort of the U S soccer landscape, even 12, 13 years old, we've got players in these pipelines that I think the golden generation is still to come. If you compared this across the history, certainly it's the best. Um, but if you're going to say golden generation, that, that is a cyclical, cyclical thing. And therefore, it's the peak. And I think the peak is still in the, in the pipeline. If you have some of these players 2030, um, then I think you might be seeing a golden generation with some of these players that will be you know, in their 20s by then that, don't, that aren't even professionals yet. So basically, is you guys basically paved the path. And now you have this, this crop of players kind of, I guess, putting cement on that trail for, for what's the futures to come. 
Yeah, I think these players are going, the current players, you know, our old, the older generations, I think, did a lot, but they didn't do, uh, my generation didn't do a lot to, to be, we did a lot to earn respect as Americans. We did a lot to earn respect as the American mentality, Um, but we didn't do a lot to, and I don't mean just my generation. I think soccer from my generation didn't do a lot to compete on the global stage with the best um, teams, best national teams, best, best, and, and have players in the best club teams uh, for a number of reasons, developmental and all kinds of other stuff. Whereas I think this, this crop of players have Jose Mourinho talking about them. You know, this crop of players will cement the U S as a developmental, um, power uh, as a respect that these players can now play regularly in the biggest teams at young ages, you know, not just in the prime of their careers. And I think this, the, the back end of this crop of players with the, the, the front end of the next crop of players could be uh, that golden generation. But I do think that this group is not quite, um, you know, uh, I would say not quite, uh, yeah, it's just not quite the golden generation yet. I think it has some some pieces that could be part of the golden generation in the in the future. Uh, but the group that we have now, I don't I don't think we're quite to that yet. Because there's right. some really sick players coming yeah. through that are teenagers now um, that aren't aren't professionals yet. That that um, I think the world is going to 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 want at the biggest clubs. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people have said how 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 Americans have dominated in majority of the sports and. And we feel that soccer is that next thing, especially with all the athletes that come from the United States. I mean, you look at the Olympics and you see the USA kind of just taking over across all the boards. So, I mean, it was only, it's only the inevitable, I guess you could say, for, for soccer to be the next, the next takeover. Um, but uh, now kind of going, segueing to your life out after soccer. And um, how did you find content creation? Like, obviously, like we kind of spoke earlier, you, you got with Copa 90 and now you're the chief creative officer for four soccer ventures. So how'd you, how'd you find that love for content creation? Yeah. Like I, I, I knew I wanted to get into the media side of things. I liked doing interviews when I was playing. I liked giving better answers than the person next to me. I like to tell a story so it was natural to go on, go on to the content creation side. And, and, and I loved it. It was a lot of work learning how to write, learning how to work off of a teleprompter, learning my voice. Um, you know, what's my tone? Who do I want? Like, who is my character at, in terms of like energy? Am I, am I kind of a sit back and relax? Am I high energy? Like all those things you work through, um, allowed me to really focus on something new after, after, you know, retiring and, I have probably two conversations a week with guys that are like, Hey man, I think I'm, I think I'm going to retire soon. I'd love some advice. I want to stay in soccer. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to give advice to that because there's a million jobs in soccer now, which is great, but you got to know, do you want to work on the field, off the field, in the front office? Do you want to be in content? Do you want to be in digital? Do you want to be in TV? Um, and so I, I was lucky enough to know kind of the route that I wanted to go. Um, and so it made it more fun. And, and there are certain things, especially doing live content that, that replicate playing the game. So 
you know, when you're young and playing the game and you first get started and you, you make a bad pass, it's really easy to get in your head, make another bad pass or, or now you're like, okay, I got to make up for that. Now I got to try this something even more difficult. Right. And you miss that. And then like getting your head, you end up having a bad game. Similarly on, on content creation or anything that's live, you, you, you stutter when you talk or you say a lot of ums and ahs and then, and then uh, you can get in your own head, right? You can learn to let it go and experience tells you, okay, let it go, move on to the next one. Kind of, you know, have a, have a, a short-term memory loss. Um, um, be a goldfish, as they say. Um, and, or you can get it in your head and you keep on making more mistakes and, and whatever. So it's got all these sort of elements that give you the same adrenaline rush where you lay up all night after a game thinking about, oh man, I should have made that pass. Same thing with content where you lay in your bed and go, Oh man, I could have done this better. I could have done that better, better. And so it allows you to tap into that passion that, that you know from playing the game, uh, just in a different light. So, you know, I, I've, I've, I've loved it and, and kick TV and Copa 90. I had, you know, you learn the hard way because, you know, small teams, you learn, if you want to get something done, do it yourself type of stuff. So, uh, it built, built really good habits, um, and, and helped me to, to find a new career that keeps me involved in the game I love. Man, that's the that's the best way to look at it, man. So uh, we're gonna have to wrap things up, man. Uh, thank you so much for for doing this interview, man. Uh, like I said, I'm, well, like I said before the, all the, the recording, I'm a big fan of you. I mean, obviously, you're a defender. I, I I used to play defense when when I played soccer, so I always have a soft spot for defenders. Um, but I, I mean, thank you so much. Uh, something I always say is, you know, time is value valuable. It's something that you know you can never get you know back. And whenever someone gives me time, I always want to show them my appreciation for it because, you know, like I said, time is valuable. So thank you for being here. And uh, um, if you guys, if you want to tell the listeners where they can find you, uh, go ahead. Yeah, you can find me uh, on all social platforms uh, at Heath Pierce, H-E-A-T-H-P-E-A-R-C-E. Um, and you can find what I'm doing at forsoccer.com. Uh, Four Soccer Ventures is the group. Uh, we focus on things on and off the field uh, from lifestyle to to trying to improve the game uh, in the youth landscape um, and, and develop more fans in the U.S. So if, if you can have a good experience on or off the field, uh, hopefully that makes you a, a long-term fan of the game and, and helps grow the sport in the U.S. So that's where you can find me and that's what I'm doing. And thank you so much uh, for having me on. This is a lot of fun uh, chatting with you and look forward to uh, hearing uh, future episodes. All right. Looking forward to it, man. Right on. So thank you and have a good one. Thank you. It's a great one. Thank you for the opportunity to host and place of you guys. Shout out to Unhand Sports Network, Alejandro Gomez with the graphics, myself behind the boys, and today I'm on the mic. Catch us next week for episode 24 when Hector and Ed will return.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors.